Welcome to episode 51 of Communicast, a communication skills podcast. I'm Scott D'Amico, president of Communispond, a global communication skills training organization. Get out of the echo chamber. Solid leadership advice from my guest, Matthew Creighton. Matthew is the founder of Publitix, a public affairs, politics, PR, and strategy consultancy. In this episode, we discuss the importance of patience and communication, why empathy matters, and how the combination of the two will help you to avoid appearing tone deaf. I hope you enjoy. Matt, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me on. Really looking forward to the conversation. Maybe just to get it kicked off, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about you, your career journey, and what it is that you're doing today? Sure, absolutely. So I am founder and principal of a public affairs, public relations, and strategy consulting firm called Publitix. Uh, I started back in 2011, uh, and my my career journey is uh, kind of uh, a little bit of a, sort of a roundabout journey. However, I think it's uh, fairly common, like millennial type thing uh, that happens. So I, uh, I I went to college thinking, you know, all right. I want to be a teacher. Uh, so I was I was uh, headed for for the classroom, did my undergrad in history, minor in political science, and then uh, did uh, my graduate uh, degree in, in education. Uh, all while this was going on, though, the 2008 uh, financial uh, meltdown happened. I uh, graduated two years later with my uh, undergrad, graduated undergrad two years later, and then uh, in 2011, uh, graduated with a master's degree. So at that point, nothing, uh, the, the uh, sort of education sector had not yet recovered completely. You know, funding had still been cut and staffing levels were so long story short, no jobs. Uh, so I was sort of like, oh man, what am I going to do? Like a lot of, a lot of people in my position and, uh, you know, just kind of took the first job that came my way, which happened to be fundraising at the university that I went to, which, made for all sorts of uh, interesting phone conversations. So my job was literally to call through lists of, of alumni just like me uh, who are struggling to find jobs and uh, ask them for money. And, That's an easy sell. Yeah, but super easy, super easy. So as you can imagine, there was, I've, I've got, you know, got, uh, got a bunch of like sort of colorful responses from people. But, and, uh, you know, as you might imagine too, not the most fun thing to do. So I started to think, all right, what am I going to do with my life? Like I, I need to, I need to figure something else out. So I started, uh, started publitics, uh, as a, as a solo act, uh, in 2011, no clients, no experience, no nothing. Um, and I was like, all right, so what am I going to do? So I figured let's get into political campaigns. Uh, so, you know, I, I started reaching out to a couple of, a uh, couple of campaigns and, uh, my, my thought was, all right, well, if I pick a campaign that is almost sure to lose, I'm sure they'll 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 have an easier time taking a chance on me, uh, rather than you know one of the the higher profile races. So I was like, all right, let's let's give this a try. So I, I was able to get my uh, get myself in uh, on a, a congressional race that year that was you know totally 100% sure to lose, and then a local race as well. Uh, the good thing about that was I was able to build up some skills, met a whole lot of people through those two things, ended up winning the local race, which was a little bit of a surprise. Um, and uh, sort of that kicked off the career from there and just kept networking. Uh, and today, so in 2014, brought on a partner and we've been growing ever since. Uh, so we've expanded outside of uh, out of the political 
sphere and into doing uh, corporate communications, uh, stuff for nonprofits, uh, branding, positioning. Uh, so it's it's definitely an interesting mix of things. But that that's sort of my roundabout way from wanting to be uh, a teacher, a classroom teacher, and then ending up uh, doing this. So um, there's definitely some overlap, too which is cool. Fascinating. Yeah. So I, I started my career as a classroom teacher. I was a high school social studies teacher at wow. my undergraduate degree in education with an emphasis in uh, integrated social studies. So small world. I made it about five years before I realized, you know, this is not going to be a 30 year career for me and had some twists and turns along the way. But it sounds like a lot of what you did was really leverage your transferable skills, take some risks. And it seems like learned a lot along the way, right? Jumping into uh, a role where you're just cold calling people asking for money, as painful as it is, I am sure that was a great, great learning opportunity. Just as if I look back on my time as a teacher, being a classroom teacher was probably those five years was one of the best learning experiences for me with regards to communication skills, to developing relationships, understanding your audience, and even with sales, right? If you can quote sell supply and demand or diminishing returns or World War One to 14 year olds, you can pretty much sell anything. So I just always love when I hear from folks that take advantage of these experiences that may not be directly related to what they want to do long term, but they learn from them and then take those into those new roles and growth. So that's outstanding. Yeah, yeah, it's so a fellow traveler here. I'm, I'm with uh, from from the classroom to uh, to that, and it's it's funny because my my uh, business partner always kind of jokes with me. Um, he's like, you know, how do you have so much patience for like some of the more difficult personalities or challenging situations? And I'm like, yeah, I, it has to be that that time that I did spend in the classroom because you do mm -hmm. the, you know practicums and and student teaching and all of that. And and you're right, like there. It's it's interesting when you talk to to fellow educators. I'm, I don't know if you found this uh, yourself, but um, you know, you, you talk to people who are looking to leave the classroom, and they're like, "Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do because I don't know if I have any transferable skills." Mm -hmm. And I found like the actual the exact opposite is true. It's like to your point, you're standing in a room full of 14 year olds or whatever age you're you're teaching. Um, you know, there are 30 different kids in there with with different backgrounds, different stories, different sort of emotional. Um, emotional approaches uh, that they're bringing into the classroom with you. And you have to figure out like, as you're standing up there, like how do I talk to each of these 30 kids while, while also kind of keeping things on on track and, and staying on message for, for all intents and purposes. Um, and, you know, how do you deal with the curveballs too? I mean, I think that's, that's a huge thing. <laughs> so I always say to people like fellow uh, edu educators or people who are in the classroom, like, honestly, like you, you are probably better equipped than a lot mm -hmm. of, uh, others to make that transition into some other other field because the, the it's extraordinarily difficult being an educator especially today i mean i got out yeah. before i got really really bad but i mean yeah. it's uh it's tough today so i think um but yeah it's it's definitely an interesting uh way way forward and then you know to your point about making phone calls that's you know a whole other a whole other can of worms mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely a lot of curve curveballs come at you when you are a classroom teacher. So being able to adapt and be flexible, fantastic skills. And yes, I've had a number of those conversations with people that are thinking of leaving education and really encourage them to think about what are all the different things that you do on a day-to-day -day basis? How do those relate to the type of thing that you want to do moving forward? I'm willing to bet there are a lot of them. It's just finding the best way to communicate that to a prospective employer. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah. And and it's not easy because it doesn't, you know, seem seem natural because I think we're all kind of like set up to to think very literally about the mm-hmm. you know the resume that you put together. So, you yeah. know, you look at this piece of paper that has, you know, taught for however many years and, you know, had this other experience, maybe summer positions doing other things and then education. And, and that's sort of like it's a little bit of a cage, right? It kind of keeps mm-hmm. you, you know, caged up and, and boxed in uh, a little bit. But um yeah. But yeah, I'm a huge proponent of, of you know, just thinking about those tran- transferable skills. Uh, and I didn't even realize it. And it was funny because until my my uh, my partner, again, my business partner brought it up, you know, he's like, you really like it must be it's got to be the education stuff. And like maybe mm-hmm. it really, you know, and thinking back on it, it probably is. Absolutely. Matt, as as you think through your experience, and I would imagine both from the political side and now the side that you're working in now, working with nonprofits and corporate communications, you've probably come across a lot of great communicators. So from your perspective, when you hear somebody is a great communicator, or they're a really strong communicator, what's the vision that comes to mind? What are you picturing when when you hear that? That That's a really interesting question because in, in my mind, I think there are different way people are, are great community communicators in different ways um and, and um you know especially in the political sphere too much like a classroom right like so you know as you run across uh people running for office for various positions everyone's bringing their own style uh their own personality to to the table uh so it's not like we're kind of sitting here sketching out like you know 3d printing a a perfect candidate right i mean like as much as we'd all love to or a perfect executive right perfect ceo Mm -hmm. in terms of a communication from a communications perspective so in in my mind uh it's it's different things so so i would say the one big thing is uh a, a great communicator really understands what their strengths are and understands what they're bringing to the table and then being able to channel whatever message they need to deliver through the lens of of authenticity they're they're what's authentic to them and, and i think that's that is the biggest thing that that we oftentimes miss because it's it's funny like we, we think a lot um especially in the political space and even like convers- like the way politics are covered we think a lot about what is being said which is important mm-hmm. but it's not everything it's it's also how you say it too so you could have the same concept or policy prescription and you could say it five different ways. And one of those ways may catch fire and resonate with people. Um, but I, I think that, you know, being able to, again, to authentically sort of channel your own personal um, approach, uh, personality, and then understand where your weaknesses are too. Um, and and not to avoid those, but to to just be cognizant of it and figure out how to work that into your communication style as well. So, and, and then again, it could, it, it, the actual act of communicating could take many different forms. I mean, some people are just naturally very funny and can do Mm -hmm. humor. Some people can't, but can do a really good job of just explaining things in a way that, that makes a lot of sense to, to their audience. So uh, to me, it's, it's a bunch of different things, but uh, you know, authenticity is, is number one. And the second two is, is um, the second thing I think is having some sense of, of empathy, uh, I, I think, or, or understanding how to channel other people's emotions right and you see that again that a lot in, in politics like people look to their leaders to cha- channel the things that they're feeling about a particular issue um so being able to tap into that however they do it and, and again like when i say empathy like there's some uh you know ceos leaders politicians public figures that are really good at 
communicating empathy, like in the traditional sense that we think it. And then there's also like just having empathy and under, understanding people. Right. And, mm-hmm. and maybe you're not the, the person that, you know, can do that. You know, I feel your pain type routine, but you can still have, have some sense of like how people are feeling. So, so I'd say those are the two big things. That makes complete sense. And especially with the authenticity part of it, because as you mentioned, there are all different types of great communicators. There's the kind of raw, raw halftime speech, people that are going to get folks, you know, really excited about something just through their energy and their charisma. There's other people that are much more soft-spoken and deliberate with their communications, and it's really effective. Now, I think what happens sometimes is people try to mimic what they see, and it's not true to who they are. And when they do that, it oftentimes does not come off as authentic and it ultimately hurts their credibility and detracts from their message. So I do think it's important for people to understand really what's my innate natural communication style. And, you know, I can stray from it a little bit, but if I'm kind of that quiet, soft-spoken, deliberate communicator, and I try to give a super rousing, exciteful, I'm just shouting into the microphone type of speech to my staff or whatever it is, it's likely not going to work. And same thing with humor, right? If you are somebody that's consistently, you have a great sense of humor and can make people laugh, engage an audience, awesome. But if you're not, a lot of times humor goes very, very poorly when people try that either just it's not funny or they end up saying something inappropriate because they're just not used to it. So I do think being true to yourself and just finding what's going to work is uh, is really important. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think like on, on the humor side, right, this is really it's a really good example. Like if you if you think that you can't commit to a joke, it's just not going to it's not going to come off right. Right. And so if you're just not comfortable with it or it's just not you, that's mm-hmm. okay. Like you can you can live in that world where, where you don't you don't have to be the funny one. You could be, you know, the, again, the empathetic one. You can be the uh, matter of fact one. You could I mean, there are a million ways that you can present the information, but I, mm-hmm. I think you're hundred percent right. Like if you can't, if you can't lean into what you're good at, then it's, it's not going to come off. Um, and that doesn't mean you can't learn new skills either. I mean, you can learn to use humor, uh, you know, sometimes, but it's, it's harder for some people, uh, than others. And I use humor as an example, but you can almost apply that to any communication skill. Matt, as you think of the workplace today, and whether it's the work that you're doing within your company and in your folks, or as you're going out and working with some of these nonprofits or corporate clients on their communication strategies, really, what are some of the skills that you think are critical, mission critical for employees to have or to bring to the table today in a workplace? That That's a really good question. And um, actually, interestingly enough, something I've I've been thinking a lot about is not necessarily the communication skills that employees need to bring to the table. And that's something that definitely like crosses my mind. But the mm-hmm. the, the leaders within those organizations need to bring to the table. Um, and, and I can get into the uh, employee side. But but the, the thing that I've kind of noticed is, is this sort of spate of very tone deaf communication as as we're all trying to navigate uh, a really unprecedented situation uh with with the you know covid-19 pandemic right so that upended 
almost everything in our lives, including how how we work. I mean, it's no secret, right? There, um, many of your listeners listeners probably you know transition to some kind of hybrid or or you know work from home thing, or maybe or even experiencing um, that you know a workplace that wants folks back in in the office. And um, the the thing that I am continually shocked at are, are these like videos of of these executives that continue to pop up where it's like, you know, get back in the office and it's like super tone. It's like, and, and, you know, I'm going to highlight this the one that really sticks in my mind. I, I don't remember exactly who it was, but there was like this, um, they, they highlighted an employee who gave up the family dog, essentially. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm giving, you know, and, and that was like a virtuous thing to gave up the dog for the company. And it's like, you have to realize that like, not everyone feel feels that way. So like, as a leader, like, this is something that I think a lot about too. It's like, this is my, organization, right? I'm captain of this ship here. And um, I think about this differently than than our employees do. Yes, I want them to be invested. But you also like have to take that, you know, an additional responsibility and be reflective of like, why do I care about this so much? And it's like, well, it's because it's mine, like I built Mm -hmm. it. So I think that's missing a little bit. It kind of goes back to like empathy, just a little bit of of empathy uh goes goes a long way so i i do wonder uh what you know why why that happens right why you have these sort of videos going viral um i mean just to kind of go back to a school example too like i i the schools have been incredibly challenging places to be uh, as as educators during during the pandemic and um and i've seen some like crazy i mean i i have uh you know friends and family who are in education you see the, these crazy emails that administration uh will send and it's not like you know, I understand that this has been a difficult situation. We're, you know, all in this together. I understand this, you know, that you may be having individual challenges as you try to navigate this, this sort of new normal that we have. But I want you to know that my door is open. I'm here to help in whatever way you can, right? That would make sense to me. That's like, mm-hmm. how you, even if you can't actually do anything, because it get, like in, in the context of a school, there's only so much that you can do. There's so much, only so much budget that's allocated every year. There are only so many people that you can hire. And it, sometimes you can't hire enough people, which is part of the issue now. So like, I get it. Like you can't actually do certain things, but you can talk to people like they're human beings. But instead what you see a lot is like knuckle up, you know, I know this has been difficult, but just like suck it up and deal with it. And it's like, mm-hmm. how that doesn't serve anyone. Right. So like, so those are the things that I've been thinking a lot about is like taking that step back and saying like, okay, like how can I make uh, the people who are on my team feel valued? Um, how can I communicate that I am there for them? How can I uh, try to, even if I'm not experienced, like living through their experience specifically, like, how can I understand that at least from an intellectual level and and just know that it's hard for them and then communicate in that way? So I think those are very important skills, um, you know, for employees, like all of those things apply too. But again, they don't have that responsibility to, um, you know, they don't have that responsibility that that someone who's in charge of an organization has and, and nor, nor should they. Right. And, and maybe at some point they will and they'll find themselves in that position and then they they can you know take those those lessons. But I think like that's the big thing in workplaces that I've I've kind of been seeing is is this sort of lack of empathy or tone deafness that that happens, um, which, again, I'm, I'm not sure where where it comes from, but um, but it does warrant kind of a step back to say, OK, like, how yeah. can I make people feel like they're a part of this with me. 
Yeah, that is kind of funny. I remember the video that you were talking about uh, seeing that and then a whole slew of other ones where you know, people getting laid off you know, through Zoom and the executive just making it all about them and being very crass with it and just you know, really not caring. So this, I think the tone deafness comes from the lack of empathy. The lack of empathy likely comes from partially just wanting maybe who they are, but also perhaps leaders surrounding themselves with people just like them. So they have an echo chamber. They don't really have somebody that's willing or comfortable to step up and say, you know what, maybe we might want to rethink this message. And when it comes to communication to avoid this being tone deaf and really hurting your people is focus on the audience. So much of this is I need to understand my audience, not just the details and logistics of it. Okay, well, you know, so much of this audience is going to be teachers. So much of this is going to be administrators, whatever it's going to be, or it's going to be parents. That's one minor layer of understanding your audience, but starting to think about what are going to be their concerns? How might they react to this message? That's something I always encourage people to do. When you're sending out a message, especially if it's going out to a, a large audience, before you send it, and honestly, really, before you even start writing it, say, based on this topic, what are going to be some of the concerns, pushback, rejections, objections that we might find out and really start to go from there? So I think as people really drill down, double down on understanding their audience, they will see hopefully a decrease in the, the sentiment that their message was tone deaf. Yeah, that that's a hundred percent right. I, I I totally and like you know as you as you're saying that I, I I think a little bit about too like my experience in in the in the political sphere and I do think there's this element too of of um you know I paid my dues right I came up the hard way and like nobody helped me and all of that stuff and I mm -hmm. and honestly I and executives and in a lot of positions kind of get into that echo chamber, like you said, uh, which, which is like, I think one of the biggest things you have to do is like get out of the echo chamber, have a fresh set of eyes and ears on on everything that you do. Um, and then, and then be coachable ultimately in, in that way. But like, there's this like sense of like, I paid my dues. I clawed my way up. Nobody helped me. I did this all on my own. And it's like, well, did you though? I mean, everyone has help, right? Like, and I would, right. yes, I started my own, my own firm. Um, but if I were to tell you right now with the straight face that I had no help whatsoever from a mentor or someone who, uh, you know, picked me up when, when I was down uh, a little bit or, or who, you know, pointed me in the right direction, it, that would be insane for me to tell you that that none of that ever happened, right? I had plenty of help coming up and, you know, you remember how stressful that was and still is in, in some ways, you know, but stressful, like in the, in the sort of building, building, building phase. Um, so, so just, you know, you got to remember that too. It's like, you didn't come from nowhere. Like there, there were a whole bunch of people, mentors, family, friends, uh, advisors, uh, you know, investors, whoever it is who were there to help you and speak to you in, in a way that was empathetic. That's okay. I see that you're struggling with this. So how can we help you here? So I, I think this idea of like, Oh, I paid my dues. Like we like to erase all the, all the hard stuff, you know what I mean? From, from our past. And mm -hmm. I don't think people are com actually comfortable with talking about struggle, um, mm -hmm. which, which I do actually find when you do talk about struggle, especially with, with, uh, your own team, um, and, and, and you're trying to foster a, uh, you know, an environment that uh, promotes folks asking you to help, like being open about that, which I think is a very important thing or or seeking seeking assistance in some way or seeking improvement. 
um, speaking about those struggles is actually a very powerful communication tool, mm-hmm. I, I find. Um, and you can do it in a way that that doesn't weaken you because I think that's the that's the concern that like, well, if I say that I struggled or I say that, you know, I didn't go through some difficult times or didn't make some pretty ridiculous mistakes over the course of of my career, then, you know, you're weak, you're, you're incompetent, you don't know what you're doing. But the opposite is actually true. I think people look at that and go, Oh, well, that's, that seems credible to me, actually, like that, you know, Mm -hmm. that reflects some of my experience, in fact, so like, let's, you know, have a conversation about how we can be a little bit better every day. So I think that's an important thing uh, as well, you know, thinking through these, these issues. Yeah. You know, sharing your struggles and just continuing to think about and own your struggles is one of the things that really does lead to empathy because while my struggle might not be exactly the same as yours, chances are there's some sort of parallel there that I can pull from that helps me to be a little bit more empathetic and A big part of it is also as you communicate about struggles either that you've had before in your career or even maybe you're currently going to, it models that behavior for your team so that they feel more comfortable coming to you if they are struggling with something. So I'm very open and transparent with my team, right? We're very much a part of our culture is, you know, family first, take care of yourself in order to take care of the business. So I will share that. I say, listen, I need to take time off this afternoon today because I'm taking my kids to the doctor's appointment or they have this event, whatever it is going on. Or you know, we have a number of massive projects going on here at our company now that's taking all, just a lot of my time and focus and energy. So I'm transparent with the team that, listen, if if I seem distant or I'm short or it's taking me longer to respond, here's what's going on. And so in the hopes that one, I just want to be transparent so they know that, But then if they're facing things where they're behind on something or they need more assistance, that they do feel comfortable coming and sharing that because it'll only help the business to operate better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I I think that's that's very important. Um, And one thing that I've tried to do, too, is is share a little bit about my own professional growth. Right. So like starting starting this business in 2011. again, as a solo practitioner, that's a much different thing than having a team, even a small team, right? Completely different thing because like all of the processes that uh, that lead to things getting done or decisions being made happen entirely between my own two years. Yeah. And then and then you bring on a partner, um, which I'm, I'm extraordinarily fortunate uh, that over the years we have between the two of us developed uh, a way of communicating uh, where we kind of just like, know what to do, know which direction to go and and can work through issues. But I recognize that that doesn't always translate for, for some of, you know, sometimes our team, you know, when I'm talking about our internal team, or if you're talking like a big political campaign, for example, which is like, you know, building a team in a compressed timeline, and then you have to like make sure every, all the pieces are moving together and then just add in as much stress as you possibly can. And then that's your <laughs> campaign. So it's like a pressure cooker. Um, so thing so those those experiences have been very helpful in in that I I try to share my management struggles as well. So like I, I try to be a little and again I'm not perfect because like sometimes I you know we all miss right like mm-hmm. everyone everyone misses um, and and you know again that's okay but I try to say like look like I started this by myself different experience I am learning as I go along I I was not born a perfect manager. Um, I was not born, you know, a perfect executive. Um, 
So those are things that I'm learning as as I go. And I want you to be on that journey with me as opposed to saying like, you know, if an employee has a concern like, oh, you didn't communicate your expectation clearly about something or or you didn't outline what the, um, you know, outline clearly what you need on this project, I could say, of course I did. I, I know what I'm doing. I'm I'm the boss. I know what I'm doing. I'm right. I'm the manager and um and then that's the end of it, right? But what does that do? That to your point again, like shuts shuts the conversation down with the employee. So then the employee, you know, the, you know, team member doesn't feel like like they can come to you with with concerns. Um and then I don't learn what I need to learn in order to mm-hmm. better communicate next time because if I can, if I share that struggle and then we both can kind of figure out, okay, like what is actually the best way forward here? Next time, it just becomes a whole lot easier to actually do the project or or complete the task or manage the crisis that we're managing or whatever it is. So I, you know, I try. I then I say that I try to openly discuss, um, you know, the the struggles or 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 the learning process that goes along with trying to figure because like providing the service to a client actually is also a much different thing than managing a team who is also mm-hmm. providing a service to a client. So th- those are kind of some some things that I've, I've been trying to do, but I don't see a whole lot, especially like in the campaign space. Again, when you have that compressed timeline, the really effective campaigns do that, though. They figure out how to manage that while also having a clear process for making decisions, which, which I, I don't, I don't think it's a mutually ex- exclusive thing. Having someone who's clearly in charge that can set the strategic direction, make the decisions and then keep things moving while also sharing some of the management learning and, 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 and struggles that someone has. Like, I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive. Definitely not. It's, it's challenging, right? It's a, it's a fine line to walk and it's this idea of, how do I play big and play small at the same time? It's kind of the way that I always think about it, kind of focus on the big picture, the strategy, but then also kind of coming down a little bit closer to the ground and figuring out how do we keep things moving forward, operationalize things and kind of keep everyone moving in the same direction. Matt, we've we've hit on a number of things already today, but if I were to go to someone close to you, maybe your partner and ask them, what's the one communication skill that you would really point to that has helped Matt to get to where he is today. You know, founding this business, growing this business, you know, running everything, keeping everything on on track. What would that what would that communication skill they would point to? Uh he'd probably say patience. Um yeah, and and I think and that's that's sort of an underrated um underrated well patience and and conflict resolution I think mm-hmm. are are two things that um that he would say and it's it's good you know, between the two of us that we have like a balance of, of traits that I think work really well. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, over the years have um, at points been less forceful on, on certain things uh, where maybe I could have been a little bit more forceful or assertive. And, and mm-hmm. you know, he kind of nudges me along in that direction. He's very good at that, actually being very uh, assertive and, and um, knowing when to use that approach. Uh, whereas I'm a little bit on the other side of the spectrum where I've, I, I think conflict resolution, um, and, and kind of understanding or not even conflict resolution in some cases, cause sometimes like just being totally honest, you can't resolve the conflict. It just is there for whatever mm-hmm. reason and you just need to manage it. So conflict management as well. Um, and I think a lot of that is trying to avoid getting, emotionally bogged down in 
in conversations with with colleagues or um, clients in some cases, or or you know the client's team in some cases, where you just have a fundamental difference of of opinion. Um, and and oftentimes, um, and again, this is something that we kind of like learned in on the campaign trail. That's that's uh, that's helpful. Is is um, it can be emotionally fraught because like you are in fact uh, under under fire sometimes from, mm-hmm. from the opposition, right? People are saying things that aren't particularly nice or flattering about you constantly. And it's easy to, to react with that, like sort of knee jerk, like, Oh yeah, well, guess what? Yep. And then, and then you go right back and all of a sudden you're throwing punches at each other, not you know, metaphorically speaking. And, um, and then you get nowhere. Right. So, mm-hmm. so I think the, the thing that I've, I've, what my partner would say, and like I, I try to bring to the table is um, taking a step back, kind of trying to observe the situation, trying to understand the motivations of everyone involved, and then treating it like a negotiation as opposed to, uh, a, a, you know, a bludgeon, right? Like, you know, you can try, right? You can try. And sometimes there is a place for it. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. there is a place for that sort of thing. But most of the time, in my view, I think everything can be a negotiation and you can at least get to a place where you can manage a conflict to the point where it's not completely derailing everything that you're doing. So I would say those, those are the most successful skills is really figuring out again, like how to deal with people who uh, for whatever reason have come to a situation where they're, they're not happy, right? Like maybe someone feels like they should be in charge of something, but they weren't empowered to be in charge. And now there's like a lot of resentment and a lot of anger there. And it's like, how do you deal with that person? Or how do you deal with a person who just fundamentally disagrees with your, your viewpoint on, on something? So that happens not infrequently. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sure, you know, a lot of practitioners of, in the communication space find that. Yeah. I love that you brought up patience because patience, I think is something that a lot of people might not directly associate with a communication skill. But for me, it's a really important part of being an effective communicator for a number of the reasons you just mentioned. When you have patience, oftentimes you're not going to hit that knee-jerk reaction to when somebody says something or an email comes in and you just immediately get upset and fire something back. You know, that's probably not you know, appropriate or the best way to have handled it. Or just even in general, if a crisis comes up, And some people just aren't patient and they want to try and attack it head on immediately versus stepping back, taking a breather and really formulating the best response to it. So patience, in my opinion, is a big part of being an effective communicator. And Matt, as you think of your style, how you've developed this communication style over time, who has been somebody that has influenced that? Perhaps you maybe taken one or two things from them, made it your own. But who's somebody that you would say has had a big influence on your communication style? If I had to look back again, I, I go back to the classroom and, and some of the really good teachers that I have had, both as a student, but then also have had the opportunity to shadow along the way. So I would say that in terms of like a single, um, the, the single most uh influential and, and and it's a multitude of different different people i think but you know i, I would say that you know, teachers in terms of, of just again negotiating simultaneously with like 30 very different personalities in a classroom um was was hugely influential uh for me and then also you know i think um you know just listening to 
storyteller. Like people are really good storytellers, I, I think. Um, and I, and I, I wouldn't be able to say that there's any one particular person, but like just listening to people, like if you find, so one thing that I, I try to do is like, if I find myself really interested in something, like I'm sitting there at like, whether it's a podcast or, uh, you know, a video on YouTube or, or some live thing and, and someone's talking about something and I find myself like, Oh wow, this is really interesting. Like it, I try to actually listen to it a second time and then ask myself, okay, why, why was that really interesting? Mm -hmm. like, what part of this like drew me in? Was it the narrative arc that they were, uh, that they were uh, creating as, as the, and, and oftentimes it was, and that's, that's the thing, you know, that I think has been very helpful too, is like listening to that and listening. So as you're like, I would say like for, for the audience, like as you're listening to things and you find yourself really engaged with something, like take a minute, like listen to it through and then go back and listen to it again and say, Oh, why, mm -hmm. why was that? Like, why was it that I was interested in this or, or interested in a book, right? Like how did they tell this story in a book? in a way that that was engaging to me. Uh, so, uh, so I think that's, that's another piece as well. So I would say classroom and then also kind of taking note of things that, that are interesting. And, and again, you know, things that are interesting to me may not be interesting to you or, or everyone mm -hmm. else, but like, it does help kind of get a say, because it will be interesting to some subset of the population. If it's interesting to someone, I'm sure someone else out there is, has some, some thought uh, in, in the same direction. So um, yeah. Exactly. There's, even if the the content that there's not interest in, as you mentioned, kind of the the way they've structured their message, whether it is a, a book you're reading, a video you're watching, listening to a keynote, there's usually that big narrative. And then within the narrative, they have their various building blocks to kind of roll back up to that. And then they have smaller stories that associate with that. So when you when you see that, it makes perfect sense, right? I see something that's really interesting to me, go back, dissect it a little bit, and figure out what's the structure that they use to get there. Cause you can then take and overlay that structure really to any type of message or communication that you have. 100%, 100%. And understanding that emotional journey too, because again, like as you're engaged, you're also experiencing some kind of emotion as well. And, um, and, and that's probably why you're engaged in, in, in those situations, right? Like some of the best sales pitches that you see sort of have that common structure of like, you know, do you feel, whichever way, do you feel overwhelmed and you want to grow your business and you've, you know, envisioned, mm -hmm. you know, the problem and then sort of the solution, it's like a roller coaster, right? They take you on, on the journey uh, with, with them. So understanding what emotions are going into listening to these sorts of things and like, why, why am I feeling uh, hopeful after I listen to this or, or why do I feel inspired after listening to this? So yeah, that's hundred percent correct. As we're wrapping up here, Matt, what piece of advice would you have out there to the listeners, really regardless of where they are in their career journey, just piece of advice for them around you know, communication skills and the role that they can ultimately play in their career success? That is, the, the communication is is one of the most important tools that you can bring to the table. And I'm not sure that it's emphasized nearly enough on, um, you know, what, whether you're going through your educational experience in, in college or some other, you know, uh, or high school or other secondary type education or, or you know, post uh, high school education is, uh, you know, we, we focus on hard skills, right? Can you do this accounting problem? Or can you recall this case law if you're going to law school? Or can you, you know, do this proof if you're, you know, going into sort of geometry or, or some other 
other field like that, uh, mathematical field. Um, but communication is like often under, like if, if you just have all these other skills then you don't need to communicate, right. That's, but that's not true. And I, I think, so just focusing on how you're interacting with people and then also noticing how people are responding to you. So are you wondering, okay, why is this person that I'm talking to even on a one-on-one, right? So like there, mm-hmm. there are these one-on-one interactions and then you have the, you know, group interact. Like if I'm standing up on a stage and there's 300 people in the audience and, and you know, you can kind of get a vibe that way as well. Why are these people or person, or is this person not reacting the way that I think they should be reacting to what I'm saying? Is it what I'm saying? Is it how I'm saying it? Is it my body language? Is it any of those things? So I think just noticing a lot of things, being more observant and present in the moment is very helpful and it's hard to do because there's so much stuff that we can pay attention to in any given moment. I mean, you know, I can grab my phone, scroll on there infinitely, watch Netflix at the same time, um, you know, look at the the billboard, you know, down the street while I'm all trying to like communicate with you or or type an email out or something Mm -hmm. like or speak with you directly. But I would say just noticing the things around you, noticing the feedback, kind of understanding how people are are reacting And, and from from that sort of data, you can start to develop a sense of, okay, I said this, I think it's correct, but the audience just, they're not buying it. You know, whether again, it's a single person or a room full of 300 people, or, you know, even if you're just like doing advertising or something like that, they're just not buying it. Like, why, why are they not buying this? Is it the idea or is it how I communicated it? Or like what, you know, what's, what's happening. So kind of just like going through those paces and never, just don't stop doing it, right? Continue right. to do, do your reps. So that, that would be my advice. I was just going to say communication comes down to really getting the reps in. Just like if you're trying to learn a sport, great to have a coach. Obviously, you need to understand the correct way to do things. But beyond that, you have to get the reps. You have to put in the practice, whether it's one-on-one conversations, Zoom meetings, keynotes, you're out with friends, you're at a restaurant, whatever it is, put in the reps, be present so that you can really see what's going on and then ultimately adjust to how people are reacting to you. I think if you do those three things, you'll be well on your way to growing these skills that are going to play such a critical role in your career outcomes. 100%. Matt, thank you so much for joining me today. Really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Scott. You as well. Take care. A special thank you again to my guest, Matthew Creighton. His take on understanding your strengths and what you bring to the table with regard to being authentic is so important. If you try to be someone you are not or stretch too far away from your true self, you will likely come off as disingenuous and you risk having your message fall flat. As always, if you're looking to improve your communication skills, be sure to subscribe to Communicast so that you can continue to learn from my guests with each new episode. And if you have found value in the show, leaving us a rating or review would be appreciated. Thanks and have a great day.